sure to switch places because I gotta get out for a minute.
Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for the opportunity that you've given us today. We are blessed. We are thankful. And Father, we want to cast our cares upon you. And Lord, in this, uh, in this worship center, there are a lot of cares. There are a lot of things that different ones of us go through. And Lord, we are blessed beyond measure. We're thankful that you put your loving arms around us, that you encourage us, that you hold us dear, and close, and tight. God, I pray we'll let you do that. And I pray that in this service, we will experience the power of your spirit. We will be open to exactly what the heart's desire is. And Father, that is to serve you and to follow you. So God, help us to move every care to you. And this morning, concentrate upon lifting our voices in praise to you as an aroma 
of praise. That as this congregation, that God, we, we are participants to you, the audience of one. And we pray that you would accept our praise. And as we dive into your word, as we continue in this series on Philippians, I pray, God, that you would give insight and understanding. And I pray that we'll be open to listen, not just hear, but to listen to your spirit as your words apply to each one of us. And then, Father, our invitation will be our response. So, through the power of your spirit, God, speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Welcome to First Baptist Church, Sun City West. We're so thankful for you to be here today. And if you are a first-time guest, we would love for you to make sure you fill out one of our guest cards if you haven't already. Those guest cards are located in the pew in front of you, and uh, we'd love for you to fill that out in its entirety, and when you leave, just drop it in one of the offering boxes at the exits. We would certainly appreciate that. So I think that we just want to continue to lift up our voices and praise. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand. Nancy, you come, and let's sing to the Lord.
Will you pray with me? Our holy God, we love you so much. And Father, we are so grateful for the power of your love. And this morning, I pray that each of us might see you face to face, God. That we would worship you in truth. God, help this to be a morning where each of us will humble ourselves before you, Lord. God, that we might thank you for all the blessings that you have given to us. We thank you for the privilege of being able to come together and sing praises to your name. God, we thank you for the privilege of being able to come and worship you freely and openly. And God, we thank you for the power and the privilege of prayer. I pray that each of us, Father, made a com commitment in our lives that we would love you more, God, that we would pray more, that we would commit to serving you with all of our hearts. God, we pray that you would be with the remainder of our service today. Lord, we will be uh, observing the Lord's Supper. And so, God, right now, I pray that each of us might quiet our spirits, God, that you would quiet our spirits, that you would calm our hearts, God, that you would help us to push away all the things of this world that want to interfere, that Satan would bring to us, God, and that instead we might look into your face, God, that you might help us, Father, in our hearts, that we might humble ourselves, that we might ask forgiveness for any sin that might be there, God, so that when we come to your table, we can come in complete purity. Father, I just pray for that for each one of us. God, we love you, and we're grateful again for this opportunity, for this beautiful day that you've given us, for the privilege that we have to live in America, God, where we can be free with our worship. Lord, we just pray for those who are ill today, for all that could not be here. God, that you will give them a special blessing. Lord, we pray for our country, and God, this morning I pray especially for revival, for this church, for every church, God. Your word says if we will repent, if we will turn from our wicked ways, God, that we will seek your face, then you will hear from heaven, and you will forgive our sins, and you will heal, heal our land, and so, God, that's what we pray for today. I pray that we might be earnest in that prayer, Father, because our country is in trouble, Father. It's because we have wandered from you. God, so I just pray for each of us that you'd help us to be in every way the light that we can be, God, in every situation and every opportunity we have because we love you so. And it's in your son's precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Down at your feet, O Lord, is the most high place. There's no higher calling than to bow and kneel before the Lord. Let's sing.
Our scripture reading this morning is from Philippians, the second chapter, verses 12 through 24. May you be blessed by its reading. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering, on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who, will, who shows genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him to you as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. God bless the reading of his word. This is God's word.
Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the ability for us to be still and to know that you are God. Father, we so many times try to accomplish things in our own power. We're pressured in a lot of ways, but God, I pray that we would stop and we would let you speak to us. That like Elijah, it's not necessarily in the fanfare or the loud like whirlwinds and earthquakes and fire, but you speak with a still small voice. And this morning, I ask that we would just be still and listen and reveal, Father, what you desire us to hear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We continue on with our journey joy for the journey through the book of Philippians. We've had uh, a beautiful passage last Sunday from Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11. And in that passage it spoke about the humility of Christ. And that's the kind of attitude or like-mindedness that we should have. Today we look at the call for excellence that Paul communicates as we are on this journey to have the joy no matter what happens in our lives. One of history's greatest musical conductors was Arturo Toscanini. Uh, for years he was the conductor of the National Broadcasting Company's Orchestra Symphony at Carnegie Hall. For those who played for Tuscanini, he said he was a terrible taskmaster during rehearsals because he wanted everything to be perfect. On one occasion, and there are a lot of stories, but on one occasion, Tuscanini was rehearsing with his orchestra and he, he wanted this piece played absolutely perfectly. And it became evident to him that the orchestra was not giving its best. And so he put down his baton and he looked quietly and said, gentlemen, God told me what he wants this music to sound like and to be played. And you are hindering God. <laughs> I think the Apostle Paul, in his conversation from prison in Rome, writing this letter to the church at Philippi, knew that there were some things in the church that needed to be adjusted. There had been some kind of communication about a uh, quiet divisiveness that was taking place at the church. And the church that he loved dearly, the church that he had joy for, uh, he wanted to make sure that they understood that if they allowed this quiet, divisive spirit, that they were going to hinder the work of God, as well as destroy the sweet, sweet spirit 
of that congregation. God had called them to excellence, but they were not conducting themselves on that high plane of love that once marked the church. When Paul helped to establish that church, there was excitement, there was love, there was, there was a movement of God in their midst because they were new believers in Christ. There was excitement. As time has gone on, that excitement still continues because they had joined together with the Apostle Paul, as we read earlier, for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were prayer warriors. But there were some that were creating some tension. And he said, listen, as the body of Christ, here is the way that needs, you need to be living your life, conducting yourself. Now, as we think about the call to excellence, we think about what it meant for Paul writing the church at Philippi and how we translate that into our own lives and into our own church. I think there are four steps, four things that go with that call to excellence. Number one is a call to a new obedience. Um, if we go over to uh, verses 10, I'm sorry, 12 and 13 that, uh, that Dr. Williamson read just a few moments ago, I think we're going to see there is this sense of obedience to Jesus Christ that Paul says that needs to be primary. In other words, he wants us to live life, but when there's a transformation in our life, Christ needs to take the priority. He needs to be the one. They had moved, the, these, these believers at Philippi had moved from a sinful life into a life transformed by Jesus Christ. They were new creations in Christ Jesus. And Paul said, listen, this is exactly what we want you to do. There is this call to a new obedience. That new obedience uh, is commented in in verse 12 he says continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling to work out your salvation with fear and trembling you could read this if you didn't look at the context and say oh wow so maybe salvation needs to continue to work out so there is a works mentality here in order for me to to uh, to have salvation I've, I've got to work hard for that but you have to remember in context that the Apostle Paul clearly refuted that kind of thinking. If you go back to uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So Paul is laying out the foundation. He says, well, salvation does not come by works. It comes through Jesus Christ alone. But once you've given your life to Christ, then, he says, as believers, as new creations, there's a new obedience. That new obedience is to make sure that you forsake your selfish ways, self-centered ways that we looked at in verses 1 through 4. He says, listen, in your daily life, let God work within you. There is a sense of understanding with, with these words. It's just pure discipleship. It is, it is a growing understanding of who Christ is in our lives, how he transforms us, and how he reveals the full character of God, the best of our understanding as human beings. 
God is the divine energizer. He, he worked in their lives and he works in our lives as well. He is one, according to verse 13, who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. The phrase to will has an idea and understanding of the very seat of our emotions. He's the one that is working within us. We, by an act of our will, by the decisions that we make, and in addition to that, how we act on them, he says this is what he's working on in our lives. Why? Because it's for his good purpose. He said again in the Ephesians that we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works which Christ has prepared in advance for us to do. Here he says, listen, he's working inside of you to will and to act according to his good purpose. The desire is that we are obedient to him because he has the very best. He wants the very best for us. His purposes for us are much better than our own. We can strategize all we want about our life and how we can make a difference, but Christ living in us and us being obedient to him, not just in the realm of works, but more in the realm of our relationship with him. He wants us to have that intimate relationship with him. The call to excellence is a call he says to work out and he does, says to express it with fear and trembling it tells me that we need to take it seriously that it's not just uh, if i get time to have my conversation with god if i have time to dig into his word and to to read his word which is living truth if i have time to do that in my busy schedule then it's okay and he says listen he is the one who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And he says, listen, you need to live that out with fear and trembling. J.B. Lightfoot paraphrased this translation. And he wrote it this way, with a nervous and trembling anxiety to do what is right. A nervous and trembling anxiety to do right. You see, there is an ongoing battle even with believers in Jesus Christ, with the old nature and the new nature. And those natures continue to fight within us. And there is a sense in this understanding that he's saying, listen, we have this battle to do right and to do it according to God's purpose. But sometimes we slip and fall. Sometimes... What we think is right isn't right at all. What God, and the more we're attuned to God and listening to God and hearing what he's saying to us through his word, through our time in prayer, when he speaks to us, things begin to change. There's a, there's a change that all of a sudden we take on God's perspective. That's absolutely critical. The Apostle Paul had no problem whatsoever connecting faith and works because he was not telling them how to be saved. He was striving to give them an understanding of what life should be like after we're saved, after we have Christ as our Savior. Now, you remember that we, we trust in Christ for salvation. In fact, uh, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is from your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. 
there's no sense at all about works, but that is the tenet of salvation. That's the understanding of how we are transformed. He says, listen, what I want you to understand is now that you are a believer, now that you've come out of the darkness into the light, you need to grow in your relationship with Christ. You need to dig deeper in that sense. It should be our heart's desire. If, if, you were a, uh, if you were an adult when you came to know Christ, you knew that there was a change and you wanted to make that change and you wanted to change the direction of your life. That's the spirit of what we should do constantly. We should continue to be a work that God is working on. You say, well, pastor, come on. I've been a, a Christian for 50 years, maybe 60 years. What more does he have to work on? Well, this entire life that we live in this temporal world is a life that is focused upon our continual growing in our relationship with Christ. We never achieve. Years ago, I remember uh, a teacher that was in our congregation in New Mexico, and uh, we were trying to get our Bible study teachers together for further training. And, you know, some of them have been, been teaching for years. And she had been teaching in the public schools for years and years and years. And uh, I'll never forget, people say, Doc, you know, Pastor, I just, I just don't need any more training. And she was the one who stood up and said, you know, the fact is, I'm an educator, I've got all the education, I've been teaching for years and years and years, and I never know it all. And so I'll be there. That's the kind of the attitude that we need to have. I don't care how long we've been believers, he always needs to continue to work in our life. We always need to stay in touch, and Paul is trying to communicate that very thing. You see, he is the one that should put that desire in our hearts. The Holy Spirit within us stirs us up to work it out, work out that salvation. Make sure that we are tuned to what God desires. And again, I'm not talking specifically about works. I'm not talking about getting involved in the various ministries or teams of our church necessarily. It is more important most important that you connect with our Lord that you spend time with him that you walk with him you have that oneness with him it's it's called spiritual growth it's called growing in maturity as you grow in maturity that desire to be what he wants you to be will grow and then through that God will put that passion and that desire for you to engage in ministry long and far beyond just our church, but to reach this community and this region with compassionate care and with the, the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What Jesus Christ worked out in our lives with grace, he wants us to continue to work out in our discipleship and our learning and our intimacy with him so that we'll have his heart and his passion to be able to touch others people that we walk with that we're in clubs with people that we have over to our house even workmen that come to our house we just have the ability to connect with them and through that build relationships and through that be able to share the love of christ 
That's that new obedience that he's talking about. And he says, listen, Jesus himself is an example. Because we go back to verse 8 from last week. He says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. This new obedience is an understanding that we humble ourselves before God. We become one with him. Jesus said that. As, as I and the Father are one, when you, when you come into a relationship with me, you're part of the family. You're an heir. And as family, we grow together. And that's what he desires. So will you continue in your new obedience to grow in Christ? Secondly, Paul says to the church at Philippi, this is going to help you in the, in the realm of your growth, your spiritual growth as a con congregation. He says there is a call to a new attitude. He says in verse 14, do everything without complaining or arguing. Uh, one scholar suggested maybe this refers back to, uh, to Exodus and Numbers with the illusion that concerning the conduct of the people of Israel in the wilderness wanderings. Because if you go back and you remember, the scripture says that the Israelites murmured bitterly against Moses and against God repeatedly, ultimately with dire results. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 10, neither murmur ye as some of them murmured and perished by the destroyer. Referring back to the wilderness wanderings. Because after Kadesh, uh, Kadesh Barnea, uh, those uh, above the age of 20, I believe, if my memory's correct, never saw the promised land except for two obedience that word complaining here or it's also translated as grumbling or murmuring depending on what version of the bible you have it it's a word that translates to to um, to mutter to murmur it's this low underneath sound it's a subtle sound it has the idea of the cooing of doves. You know how they coo? It's quiet, but it's there constantly. Dr. Stagg from the Broad, Broadman Bible Commentary on Philippians said, the church is not to be a gossip club nor a debating society. And he's right. That's not what we're called to be, is it? We're not called together. We're not just another club from clubs in the community. That people just get together and say, hey, you know, we have some like interest. We're different. We've been changed. We've been transformed. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. And so these words that he mentions, the complaining, it's kind of a quiet, subdued process. And the arguing, which is more up front, that is a debate, a conversation back and forth. It's more than just a murmuring, but it's a, it's a larger impact. He says, listen, those are words of, a, of an old attitude. He says, you need to take on a new attitude. And this new attitude will express itself, he says, in being blameless and pure. He's not saying perfect, but being blameless 
and pure, according to verse 15. Paul urged them to quit their complaining and their arguing. He said, that's not your purpose. The reason you came to Christ was not only to have that intimacy with Christ with, through salvation and discipleship, but to be the light of the world. And so just stop. He stopped complaining and arguing so that the wicked world, that they may perceive that, you know what, those people are different. They're not just like everybody else. You know, I hear it when I talk to, uh, to people, workmen that come to the house and, and others in our community and a half over the years. They say, why in the world would I go to church? They're all a bunch of hypocrites. And I just smile and say, yeah, we are. <laughs> but the reality is that you're not going and you're not connecting with Christ. You're a hypocrite too. So let's just move that out of the way and let's focus on, okay, maybe we say more than what we actually do or believe, but we're working on it. We're trying to have that, that understanding of sanctification. That is, once we've given our life to Christ, we spend our whole life trying to get to know and understand God better and better through Jesus Christ. We have that intimacy, so we're not perfect. But he says, listen, we still need to be the light of the world. So, stop your grumbling and complaining and quarreling and arguing and let's get back to the main purpose. That's what he's telling this church at Philippi because there, there is a danger here. It, it, it appears that there was something underlying within this church, probably by just a few people. He says, let's gonna blow wide open if you don't stop. So the indication is it hadn't yet. And so he's giving very good instruction to say, let's focus upon what you're supposed to be pure and blameless. It's hard to understand these two words without throwing in the word perfection. But the reality there is a difference. Blameless is to live so humbly and carefully that the world cannot find fault in you. And to be pure is to live a life uncontaminated by the world. That's not an easy task, but he said that's what we strive for. And I've known a few people through the years that I would look at them and I'd say, wow, they, these, these people epitomize the blameless and pure. And they are stand-up people in the community as community leaders. And they're gentle and they're kind and they're not judgmental. They just ooze the love of Jesus Christ. That's how we should be. Like metal that's been put through the fire and, and, uh, and purified, their lives were to be pure, he said. In the midst of a crooked and depraved generation is how Paul described. Uh, when I was preaching a, a series on, the, um, on a biblical worldview back in the fall, I talked about the crooked line and the straight line. How in the world, in this moral understanding that God has given us, how would we know the difference between a crooked line and a straight line? That the straight line is the right one, and the crooked line is not. The... Paul shows that. He says, listen, it's a crooked and depraved generation. 
I'm telling you, you can see that right in front of your eyes. Every single day I read news articles close to home, right here in Arizona. But in the midst of that, he says, you need to be pure and blameless. You don't need to be tainted by them. And you don't need to attack them. Because they're not spiritual. They, they don't understand. You're the one that's spiritual. You should be the one taking the high road. He goes on to communicate that uh, if we have that understanding of being blameless and pure, in verse 15, he's gonna, you're going to shine like the stars. Uh, have you looked up in the sky just uh, in the last few days and, and seen, I think it's Mars, and, uh, Venus, Venus, and Jupiter? Have you seen that outside? Go ahead and raise your hand. Have you, have you looked? Okay. Tonight, if you would, go outside in the darkness and look and see. It is, they're just so close together, and it is absolutely beautiful. If you get outside of Phoenix and you look up in the sky, the stars just are so bright. The Webb Telescope are giving us uh, incredible pictures from this universe so far away. They're stunning. Paul says, listen, you are to not complain and argue. You're to, to be blameless and pure so that when the world sees you, it's like seeing the stars. You're the light. The light that's going to point them to the way that they can have eternal peace and joy. Like the North Star guides the, the mariner, the believer should guide the world that's lost its way. And that's the point. They've lost their way. We need to bring them and say, hey, here is the way. But he says in verse 16, as you hold out the word of life, as you live the word of life, the word of God out in your life, I promise you, you hold on to that. The scripture will never steer you wrong. It is the Word of God. Third, it's a call to a new commitment. Paul had uh, told the, uh, the church at Philippi that he hoped to send Timothy back to them very soon. Why? And that's in verses 19 and 20. Because he wanted to hear back from him how things were going. Were there adjustments being made? Was the spirit of the church back into that joyful spirit? Were they back engaged in, in helping to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ? That was the desire of his heart. He wants to get that word back. And I'll tell you what, there is no one else the apostle could trust with this assignment for the spiritual welfare of the church at Philippi than Timothy. Timothy was that one that he could trust completely to go and to minister and to encourage the church at Philippi and to bring back that good word. <coughs> Verses 19 and 20 is quite a contrast into verse 21 when he says, for everyone looks out for their, his own interest and not those of Christ Jesus. That is a stunning statement. Paul communicates real clear here, Timothy is one I can trust explicitly to accomplish what I want done. But he said, most people look to their own interest and not that of Jesus Christ. We expect that from those who are not believers in Christ. What we don't expect, and what he doesn't desire, is that believers hold up their interest, 
more than that of Jesus Christ. And that's something that each one of us have to look at ourselves. We have to look in the mirror of our soul and say, is that, is that true of me? Don't look at your neighbor. <laughs> Don't look at, at the lost people that you know. You've got to look within yourself. I've got to look within myself. Being engaged in working in the teams and the ministries and the fellowships that we have here at church doesn't mean that we have the interests of Jesus Christ at the top of our list. That's a decision only each one of us can look at and say, when I get up in the morning, is my desire to serve Jesus Christ and he, he be the priority in my life. As I go about my life, as I go about my daily work uh, or my daily duties or whatever responsibilities you have, as I go about them, as I, is Christ the priority? Is, is he the one glowing through my life? Is he the one that is lighting the way? Paul said, listen, there's a new commitment. It means that we need to change. We need to make the adjustments. It's hard to do that immediately, so start. Just start somewhere and say, you know what, Jesus, today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to help me with my major decisions. Or Jesus, today I just want you to bring somebody by my path that I might not even have looked at before that might need somebody to encourage them or to help them. But I want your will to be done because you want to work in me, according to what Paul said, so that I can touch others and be a light to them and even enlarge that to an encouragement to him. So I believe that that's the desire. And so he said, I'm going to send Timothy. Every one of us should have the same understanding as Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, that we should seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So this is an adjustment today. As we begin to make decisions concerning what is it that Christ wants me to do, we need to be, and maybe even follow the example of, of what Timothy was in this sense, that he could be trusted. That it was, it was the interest of Christ he was going to seek Christ's kingdom above everything else. His commitment and dependability was shown time and time and time again. As Paul stated in verse 22, he said, as a, as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. So Timothy worked side by side with Paul. He said, almost like a son. And yet, in the realm of ministry... He was like a servant serving his master. It's obedient, this new obedience, this new attitude, this new commitment. That's what Paul is trying to communicate. We see this from time to time through history. Probably maybe even in your lives that I just don't know about. But over a century ago, there was a, uh, a Cambridge University cricket star by the name of C.T. Studd. And uh, he was the greatest cricket player in England at that time. Well-known, high celebrity, wealthy. And he found Jesus. He heard the gospel. He accepted Christ as his savior. He felt called to go to the mission field. He left all of this behind 
But there was one thing that he had to, to do. He said, you know what? I believe God wants me to dispose of all of my wealth. And so he began doing that. He began writing checks to Christian causes. Writing checks until his entire fortune was gone into the work of Christ. And then he could write in his journal. From Acts chapter 3 and verse 6. Silver or gold, I do not have. When I think of C.T. Studd and I think of how Timothy served Paul, and I think of, of the exhortation that Paul has given, I come to this understanding that, you know what? As believers in Christ, we can't play church. We need to be engaged. We're a family of faith. And the reason Christ has brought us together is so, yes, we can worship him. And yes, we are encouraged by his word. And we enjoy the fellowship together. And we are here to be equipped for the work of ministry. But we need to be engaged in the ministry as well. Not just within the bounds of the church family, but outside as well into the community that is lost. We need to shine like the stars in a dark world. You need to stand out. And the only way to do that is to say, you know what, I need to take, I need to take a, a, a real look within myself and say, God, what, what is it that you want me to adjust? Because some of my, some of my focus upon you is half-hearted. I mean, I check off the boxes, I come to worship, that's great. But, but God, I, I'm probably not as close to you and your word in applying your word, not just reading it, but applying it to my life and, and how I can do things that maybe the church doesn't even sponsor, but maybe if I live in a condo or a house, I begin to minister to my neighbors. I pray for them, but most importantly, God, I want, I want to be pure and blameless before you so that wherever I go and whatever I do and however I deal with people, that they see Christ. That I can be the light of the world. And that is a lifelong process. And this morning I'm challenging you. As you're on this joy for the, uh, uh, the, uh, the journey, to have the joy that Christ wants us to have on this journey in the Christian life that we can make that decision and make it firm. Father, as we move into our invitation, I pray that um, we will be mindful of how you have spoken to us. And Father, maybe we're already there and we've closed down our minds to maybe what your word says because we've achieved. But for most of us, there are things in our lives that we need to adjust to be the servants you want us to be, to be the light that you desire us to be, to be the people you want us to be. And I pray, God, that this morning, whatever decisions are made, to accept Christ as Savior, to rededicate our lives right in the pews where you are, or to come and be a part of this fellowship, whatever it is, that, God, we would say yes, and we would act on that. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Stand and let's sing our invitation hymn. The greatest seated and I'd like to just ask you uh, if you just bow your heads and uh, we are about to move into the uh, ordinance of the Lord's Supper so we'd love for you just to prepare yourself if you would and uh, we could just have uh, some soft music um, let God speak to you as we prepare okay Father, thank you so much for the opportunity and the time that you've given us. And Lord, as we take this time,
to look to prepare ourselves at the Lord's table. And I pray that it will be a very special time. One that helps us to understand your sacrifice. Even Paul in the passage that, uh, that we've just spoken of, while he was in prison, didn't know if he would live or die. His, his focus was saying, you know what? Even if I'm poured out, and that's a beautiful image of exactly what, Father, your son did for us. He was poured out so that we might have life everlasting. His, he spilled his blood. It wasn't just the physical abuse that took place, as horrible as that was, but the spiritual battle defeating Satan. It's something beyond anything we could see. But not only did he sacrifice, he was raised up from the dead. He gives us life, and he gives us hope. He gives us inner peace. Father, if there's anything that is hindering that this morning, I pray we'll be able to put that aside. And as we take the bread and we take the juice, that, Father, it is a reminder of what Christ has done for us and how he wants to continue to do his will and to act within our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Jesus said, take eat, this is my body. Brother Al, would you lead us in a prayer as we focus upon not only the bread, but also the juice and its symbolism. Father God, this brings back memories. And we come honor, to honor you and what you did for us. These symbols, this bread symbolizes your body that you suffered. sent his son as the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And he did it gladly because he wanted us to be with him. Praising his name throughout all eternity. That he will worship with us praising and giving glory and thanks to God. Lord, we Take this juice. <laughs> we take it, Father, for the symbolizes your blood, your life blood, that we receive it as a gift and return it as a gift of salvation. Thank you, Lord. You buried it, you bore the cross. Now, Lord, may we bear our cross for you in our daily living as we continue on our journey to be with Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.
Jesus said, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you the truth, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the time I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. It's quite the challenge. From the message in the songs that focus upon Christ to the message from Paul in the second chapter of Philippians to be lights to the world and to have a unified focus to fulfill the purpose and the passion of Christ. And to do that is to live closely with him and observing the Lord's table the example is the greatest sacrifice and the greatest triumph of resurrection with a promise that we too will be resurrected that we will live after this temporal life goes and everything changes it's a challenge but it's a challenge for each one of us that we can fulfill and we start by engaging with Christ on a deeper level. I ask our deacons if you would go ahead and sit, if you would. Um, Nancy, if you would go ahead and uh, uh, give us some good information for the week, and then uh, yeah, I have some presentations to make. Today is the day when those filled baby bottles for New Life Pregnancy Center are due back. If you happen to have forgotten to bring yours this morning, you may bring it to the church office this week. Also today, men, is the last day for you to sign up for the men's breakfast, which will be Tuesday morning at eight. There's a sign-up sheet in both lobbies, and if you are coming, we do need you to sign. Today, also, the last day to purchase tickets for the spring fling, which will be next Sunday evening at five o'clock. Heidi Hernandez will be the entertainment after we have a baked ham dinner and you will not want to miss that. We do need you to purchase a ticket though, and tickets can be purchased in the small lobby just to my left. You'll see a number of other announcements in the bulletin, not the least of which is the Annie Armstrong Easter offering week of prayer guide that was included in your bulletin along with an offering envelope. And I hope you will use that prayer guide this week as we pray for missions throughout our country. As a family, we love celebrations and we're not excited about goodbyes. But uh, Miss Eunice, could you stand for just a moment? This Miss Eunice, she has been through a lot over these last few months. Today is her last Sunday. She's going to be heading down south uh, to live with, uh, with her son and their family, uh, Michael, who's with her. And Eunice, we are going to miss you greatly. You will survive because you have him. That's exactly right. Miss Eunice, thank you very much. Please, would you just thank her for her faithfulness. Now, Michael, you have the GPS to get back here, so ever so often we'd love to see Miss Eunice. <laughs> okay. 
Um, for all of you who have signed up for the Washburn Prayer Ministry or are going to because uh, Lynn will be out there helping uh, for folks to sign up. There's still hours available through the week. Um, but for those that have signed up or are going to sign up, if I could meet with you uh, probably over on that side of the worship center um, for about 10 minutes. We have all the packets. It launches tomorrow at 4 o'clock in the morning with the first person who, who kicks it off for this year. And uh, there are packets. We have a new journal for you. There's some new things that we're doing this year. So if you have signed up or if you're going to sign up, you just meet me over there right after services, and then we will uh, we'll get you out of here as quick as possible. But you'll have everything you need right in your hand. And this morning, Lee and Charlotte, why don't you come on down? These are the Clawwetters, Charlotte and Lee. <laughs> they are great folks. They have been engaged in our ministries for a while. And we've been praying for Charlotte, obviously, and her family because of the loss of her mom just a handful of days ago now. Yeah. And um, today they've said, you know what, this is the time. We're going to come, and uh, Charlotte's going to, uh, uh, to come by her statement. And... Uh, uh, Lee is coming by his statement of faith and going to follow through in, uh, in immersion, and we'll look forward to that as well, okay? All in favor, if you'd show that by the sign aye. aye. You're against that, the sign no. It's a good Baptist way to go, you know? Well, we are excited. We're going to ask you, if you would, just to stay right here. And you're in, um, are you, which Bible study class, I think? Servants? Yeah, okay, all right, servants class. So what I'm going to ask is, um, is <laughs> I'm going to ask Jack, who's been there for a good while and has just passed the torch, and uh, the one that taught today, where's Jim? Jim, there you are, Jim. If you guys would come and stand by these folks and uh, so that they have some, some good support from their Bible study class, I would appreciate that. And as we have our, our closing prayer, um, I would just encourage you to come by and give these folks the right hand of Christian fellowship. And when they come by and do that, they shake your hand or they wave or say hi or however they choose to do it. Uh, they're saying two things. Number one, welcome to our family. And number two, we're going to be praying with you and working beside you in these days ahead. And we look forward to it because we believe that God placed his people in the body for a reason and for a purpose. Okay, all right. You hang right here. Jack, I'll move out of your way, sir. We, we, we have... <laughs> yes, we do realize that. <laughs> It was exciting to see six of our brand new deacons who, uh, who helped serve the Lord's Supper today, and I think that is great. All right, Ms. Brenda. Good morning, everybody. If you would please pray with me. Father God, we come humbly before you on this beautiful Lord's Day. We came today to worship you and thank you for the freedom that we have to do this without persecution. Today, the world and our country are in turmoil. We ask you, dear Lord, to touch the lives of those that do not know you as their personal Savior. We pray that they would seek you, confess their sins, and ask you into their lives. Help those of us who proclaim to be Christians. Help us to step out in faith and tell others about Jesus. Give us the boldness, dear God, to do this. We pray, we pray that we would see more revivals break out all over the world just like the one that we've been seeing at Asbury University in Kentucky. People coming from all over, the, all over the world just to hear about Jesus. We need that. 
As we leave today, dear God, go with us and remind us when we are unsure of what we should do or what we should say, take a minute and just ask, what would Jesus do? I know then that we would get the right answer. And we just pray and we ask all this in Jesus' name today. Amen. Go with God. Thank you.